throwing it back. It's a remake of an old classic. It's a ketchup corner. Mike, Mike, we bought a flying podcast. Whoa. That podcast has big ears. I don't like it anymore. It, we here to talk about catching up on things. The one-armed podcast. Ah, yes. We bought a Movies, bike. music, cinema. Well, damn, we shouldn't have done the Dumbo references because we're not even talking about it. We've already episode. talked about Dumbo at We've, this point. Exactly. Yeah. We've already talked about Dumbo a couple st- days ago. We just can't stop thinking about Dumbo. Yeah. It's cultural significance. True. Yeah. Uh, hey, guys. Welcome to We Bought a Mic. I am Ernest Calderon. I am Hunter Mobley. And I'm Drew Dietzen. And we're switching it up from now on. We are trying something new this week. Uh, We are bringing you two episodes. So it's basically the same thing, just split in two, right? So you've already heard our review of Dumbo and our top three favorite Tim Burton movies. Uh, But today we're following up with our good old catch-up corner to bring you what we've been uh, up to this week. Yeah, because we've been trying to shorten our episodes. We realized that we all abjectly refuse to talking less. So this is the only way to just cut the episode in half. So let us know if you guys actually like this format or if you're just like, no, I love when you guys do like four and a half hours. Yeah, go longer. Give me seven, eight hours. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, luckily... It's just the three of us. Back to the core three. After like three back-to-back episodes of guests. Wow. So just keeping it, keeping it wabammy on this one. I like to think that nobody listens to us or wants to come on this podcast. I like it when it's just the three of us. Yeah, yeah. It's it's better. Feels like home. Let's uh, let's knock out this news real quick. Uh, Apple unveiled a whole bunch of shit uh, this week. I guess it's technically last week. uh, By the time you're listening to this, but. Let's just run through it. They announced a credit card, a video game streaming service, and a television streaming service. Is mm. that everything? Yeah, oh, the, the news. Main, there's the news. Yeah, there's thing the news too. thing about how you can pay ten dollars a month to have all of your news subscriptions in one service, which is kind of skeptical. There's a lot of things behind this whole Apple thing, kind of uh, raise an eyebrow or two. Like, kind of how it's just like, don't worry, guys. We'll take care of which news sources you should read. For also, you. And we'll also, give you the real news here. I've heard this before, and it hasn't worked out well. And also, also we're partnering with Goldman Sachs <laughs> to give you premier luxury banking. So, yeah, okay. So that was the other thing about this whole, uh, this whole credit card service, because, you know, Apple, according to everything that they've claimed, is that they don't know how much you've paid for certain things. They don't even know what you've bought with this credit card. Right. That's bullshit because <laughs> um, how do you dispute a claim if there's like, if I don't, don't know. know. Yeah. yeah, if they don't know, you're just like, hey, so I spent, I have this charge for like $45 at this place. And they're like, well, I, I don't know. We what don't that track is. your yeah. purchases. They, they, just, they just give you free money <laughs> yeah, every time. That's nonsense. That's not how <laughs> yeah. anything, I, I believe me, I'm a big defendant for privacy and everything else and not uh, sharing data. Right. But at some point, you kind of have to have some kind of data well, based on the people that exactly. you're using. Exactly. Like, Apple has earned a lot of claims that they're kind of the best in Silicon Valley in terms of protecting privacy and and not spying on their customers, but they still do it. You know, they just they're not as like uh, careless as, as like Facebook or yeah. Google, but. 
they're I mean, they're still gonna track your shit. At least the card looks cool. Hey. It's like a nice titanium. I, as soon as I saw the announcement for this stuff, I was like, I'm willing to met, bet money right now. This is going to be the biggest flex of the summer of 2019. Having that card. Is I'll just have somebody, like, I'll be at my work. I work in the service industry, and somebody's just going to be like, don't worry, guys, I got this. And they'll put down their Apple credit yeah. card like, to hey, pay for hey, everybody. Check it out. You see this? Yeah. You see this? I'm paying with an Apple card. I, look at this. I'm getting Apple points. <laughs> I saw a tweet that I think is really true, which is like, it's going to be like AirPods, where it started as like a meme to be like, oh, lol, you don't have AirPods. But now it's like actually a status symbol to have fucking <laughs> right. AirPods. It's going to be like that. But it's not just the air. It's it's the whole thing. It's the phone. It's the MacBook. It's the watch. You know? Yeah. It's Oprah. Yeah. But oh, yeah. She, yeah. So. so that's the other thing. So. <laughs> In the same event where they announced a credit card, they also announced all of these TV shows that are going to be on TV Plus, Apple TV Plus. Apple TV, but it's... So what they're trying to do here, which in theory, it sounds pretty interesting what they're doing, trying to do, because they're not trying to make another Netflix or an Amazon or a Hulu. They're trying to basically be the new cable box, from what I can tell. It sounds like they're trying to be almost like what Hulu has done with live TV. They're trying to incorporate that in and say, look, you can watch all the stuff that you want to live, but also we have this exclusive Oprah program, or we have this exclusive Damien Chazelle TV show or movie for you to watch. Yeah, they have so, uh, Kumail coming out yeah, of the show. The, that's the one I'm more, uh, most curious about. Yeah. I'm curious about that, that and Damien Chazelle, Oprah. We didn't see yeah. anything from that one, though. All we saw was Damien's face and yeah. his name. So we don't know anything about what that's going to be. So, like, I, it's kind of, it's interesting. I'm curious. I'm also skeptical just because it almost seems like a very, like, it, it seems like what people were trying to do right when Netflix came out. It almost seems like it's kind of like backwards thinking that it's just like we need a new cable box. Yeah. And it's to like bundle well, all the streaming services. Aren't we kind of like past the cable box itself? So what they're trying to do, I guess, is like, well, everybody else is abandoning this market. Apple's gonna be like, Hey, no, you know what? Fuck Spectrum, fuck Xfinity, we're gonna be like the source for everything. We'll have both the live T V and we'll have be able to bundle all your other streaming services we have, which I think the closest thing that we have to bundling the streaming services is probably Amazon. Mm -hmm. Well, with Amazon, you can watch Amazon shows, but you can also link up your stars, your HBO, yeah. your Showtime, yep. stuff like that to it. And um, it's all part of your Amazon account. Right. You don't have to do anything except just click one thing and, and then it's there. Apple's trying to be like Amazon plus the live TV aspect of it all. So we'll... It's we'll also, they didn't even announce a price or anything to it yet, yeah. so we don't know what exactly this is going to yeah, cost. This isn't, this isn't a guarantee for me yet. Not uh, Unlike Disney+, Plus, where like I'm pretty much definitely going to get that. They because have of the, the content behind yeah. it. Yeah. With this, it's like, you know, I'm not, it, it's not enough for me. It might This might be the case for other people, but for me, it's not like, oh, it's Apple, therefore I have to get it. I'm going to get it because Apple. Wake I'm up, sure wake up sheeple. I'm sure there's people out there that are just like, yeah, I have Apple Music. You know, I have an iPhone. Like, of course, I'll yeah. do it. I'll I mean, people it. with money to throw around are going to get it. Right. But, you know, it's it's going to be a thing that will be cool to have. Did you guys actually see the press conference, the presentation? I've seen parts. Of, I didn't watch the full press conference they, that they had. Right when they because it, it was a long presentation mm -hmm. and they didn't actually get to the TV part until the very end, like mm -hmm. well over an hour into the thing. Um, and once they actually got to it, they introduced it with this really, really effective 
like little short film yeah. in black and white with Steven Spielberg and J.J. Abrams yeah. talking about like the power of story. <laughs> And I was like, whoa. It's, it's honestly, it's it's powerful. <laughs> like, it sounds shit. very pretentious, but it, it did work. Like, it was it was yeah. an effective part. I wish that they would have spent more part of the presentation on it, but I feel like they're almost, because of Disney Plus and all these other services that are, like, busting out in the by the end of this year, they're like, well, we need to step on this shit. We need to get this together, like, right now. Yeah. So they're trying to kind of rush this together, and it almost feels like, Maybe it needed a little bit more time. I'm wondering how many things are going to be available at launch. At least I have uh, Oprah. It sucks because, like, at this point, Netflix... I mean, Netflix started the same way as these other companies, where they started with Orange is the New Black and House of Cards. Right. And now, at this point, they have this full library that they're basically a closed system at this point. Yeah. And every other company is trying to keep up, but they don't just have a billion dollars to throw around in... Uh, making like producing films and TV shows for these yeah. things um, yet. I, I didn't see the presentation, but I'm assuming that Oprah's show is going to be called like Giant Oprah, and it's just <laughs> going to she's going to be permanently like in wrinkle. A wrinkle in Oprah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's going to be in character. It's Oprah's like a, wrinkles. It, it's like a high maintenance type thing where it's just like <laughs> people living their lives, but like giant Oprah's just in the background. <laughs> yeah, like Godzilla. Observing. Yeah. I, I mean, I you know, you only hope. You know, Apple she, has their shit together, and that's a great idea. So she actually is doing several projects. So she said she's doing uh, sort of like a book club interview style kind of. Uh, I guess it's going to be a recurring. I don't know if it's a daily show, but it's going to be sort of a similar format to her old famous show where she yeah. like sits down with people I mean, in interview style. She's a good interviewer, she, yeah. and then she's also working on a documentary. Uh, she's actually working on two documentaries, one like film and one like uh, mini series format. And her whole kind of pitch that she's going for is that the reason why she decided to partner with Apple is just because of the size of the audience, like the number of people that have iPhones or have Apple products that she'll be able to reach and influence. Like that's what is appealing to her because a lot of people last year uh, we're talking about her doing a presidential run and I think to her it's much more it would be much more effective for her to do something like this than to run for president because she can reach like so many people and get a message out to so many people and that's what she talked about in the presentation that like the opportunity is so uh, kind of uh, just important to her to just sees this moment of being like okay i can i can really do some good isn't by it, reaching all these people isn't it kind of it's this is kind of a tangent but just the fact that uh it used to just be like kind of like a joke a meme that just like oh yeah you know like oprah for president and now in the post donald trump presidency it's like hey man anything could happen yeah, at this point anyone like, any, any it could be literally yeah. it could dumbo, be the rock. dumbo for president i dumbo 2020 <laughs> let's go all right uh, yeah, I mean, I'd like to say this that we, of course, we've learned our point. lesson, but we obviously didn't. Like, we right. had a celebrity president before Trump, even. Yeah, Reagan. Well, didn't I mean, learn a... but at this point, even something, I keep going back to, like, what, like, content is going to be available at launch. So, even something like, at this point, by the time you're hearing this, CBS All Access has already put out the first episode of Twilight Zone. I'm getting CBS All Access in order to watch Twilight Zone. But that took... How long has CBS All Access been out for? A year, year and a half at this point? Yeah, more. Because Star Trek Discovery came out 
at the end of 2017. I so think? yeah, so like two years. Pushing at this two point. years. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I I like I'm getting this. Sh- I'm getting a streaming service just for a show at this point, which I didn't. I didn't think that I would be a person who would just like get something just for one show, but that's where I'm at now. <laughs> so maybe. I mean. If Damien Chazelle has a project coming to Apple TV, I'm probably going to yeah. at least try it just because mm-hmm. I want to watch yeah. anything that Damien Chazelle does. Yeah. So. To La La To Land. <laughs> All <laughs> right. Be. So La La Apple Land, Tokyo Drift. Uh, heading into the battlefield of the streaming wars. Um, Drew, what have you been catching up on? Let's let's eat some ketchup. Raw ketchup. No no main dish. Hmm. It's just all. Did ketchup. you know barbecue is mostly ketchup? Uh yeah. Yep. Yeah, um, and you know what? Go go barbecue. <laughs> like, good for you. No shame in that. Uh, anyway, I want to do a quick YouTube spotlight because we don't ever talk about YouTube really uh, or recommend YouTube channels when it is like if we were comparing their numbers to streaming platforms, they are unrivaled in terms of views that uh, certain yeah. channels get, and not not just uh. TV streaming, but music streaming too. Oh yeah, people just listen to music. Yeah, on it's YouTube. it's the second most visited website on the whole inter- internet in North America, and uh, so I figured we might want to talk about it a little bit. So I found this funny little guy named PewDiePie. No, I'm kidding. I'm joking. <laughs> nah. Are you about to talk about uh, annoying orange? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did just tweet a fire Jack's annoying films? orange tweet. No, so it's two different music-related YouTube channels that I found very informative, very educational, um, and I wanted to shout them out. The first one is a guy named Rick Beato. I'm pretty sure that's his channel name as well, so search Rick Beato, spelled B-E-A-T-O. Uh, he is a longtime music producer and uh, like a studio musician, and he's moved into educating, so he's an amazing teacher of music as well. Um, and specifically, he has a series that's called something like What Makes This Song Great? And he he's done like probably over 70 songs at this point. And he is so brilliant because he he understands every aspect of recording music. It's not just breaking down how the music works. It's not just breaking down how the production works. It's all of it. Everything is broken down. He is uh, this guy is like he's in like his 50s and it's just very wholesome. Like you can just tell he's so passionate about music and he's genuinely great at uh teaching like typically with people who are this smart they're not good at ins- explaining it to like a lower uh knowledge audience so this is perfect for someone that wants to learn how to play music N- no it's not it's it's about like theory it's about okay. it, it's it's just all of it like if you're wondering why do i like this song so much like and you see that he covered that song you'll watch it and he he has the seed files for all these songs and he'll be like let's hear what the rhythm section sounds like and let's you know let's go through that strip it down yeah and he'll he'll get into really heavy theory shit that goes over my head but it's still like a pleasure to watch because he's he's very interested and he keeps it low level just enough that like if you have some experience with making music you're going to be very interested in this channel um i also like his taste he's into like a lot of like 90s rock specifically and i've never really thought twice about a lot of that stuff and he'll break it he'll make you appreciate music that you uh, did not appreciate like i have an appreciation for uh allison chains at this point like because he'll explain like why it's great and h- how it changed the landscape and everything uh he has an amazing breakdown video of everlong by foo fighters nice. um it, he is i really like this dude like he's just very very passionate about uh teaching music to people can you spell it again rick b-e-a-t-o yeah so i i had looked it it's up like I, I got the except right with an a yeah <laughs> rick b-a-t-o um 
so yeah that's that's just a great channel and i'm and if you watch his other videos he gets like you know he has videos that are varying levels of instruction on like basic to advanced music theory stuff he's almost to 1 million he's at all he's at 755,000 <laughs> yeah. subscribers so i mean after this up comes out he's gonna be a, <laughs> he's gonna get the old what wabam boost <laughs> one thing i found i find interesting is like he there's a lot of variety of all there's a lot of different uh topics that he uh, yeah, touches on that's another cool thing about him is he's very open-minded to different genres and he just generally uh, he knows everything about music like there's no base he won't cover but in terms of these breakdown videos alone he'll do steely dan and then he'll do ariana grande and then he'll do like the foo fighters and like it's he he just has a love for music in general and it's kind of infectious um the next channel is called uh the punk mba MBA as in Masters in Business Administration. Whoa. So so you hear that title and like you already get the gimmick of what this guy's up to probably. Uh he's he's a dude what's he has a funny name. Oh, his name's Finn McKenty. Um Colin, friend of the pod, actually turned me on to this guy's channel because he has a lot of videos where he's not breaking down very much how the music itself works. He's breaking down the business side of how bands achieve what they achieve. Uh, the series in particular that I like is it's a series called like, how did they get big? And he'll just break down how, for example, like a band like fallout boy, why they rose out from nothing and became like took over the world instead of a band like motion city soundtrack. When at one point they were both in the same place, like what happened to them that didn't happen to them. And I'm always fascinated by those stories yeah. um, because it's not just like a luck of, it's not all luck. There's an amount of uh, circumstance and happenstance, but there's also an amount of uh, work put in. For example, I never knew that Pete Wentz was the brains of Fallout Boy, because <laughs> you would never guess such a thing, because uh, he's also the face of Fallout Boy. Uh, I figured it was Patrick Stump as the brains because he's like unattractive. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's a great channel. Um, he also he gets deep into subgenres of music that I have no interest in, but I enjoy watching the videos anyway. Like he, because he's a metal guy, and I'm not a, a metal fan uh, in particular. But he'll get into like what killed deathcore or whatever, and he'll break it down in very like practical ways. Like he doesn't get into like it just wasn't good enough. Like he'll break down why it did not like mm. pass over into the mainstream. Uh, so I, I really enjoy his channel, even if the gimmick of it is kind of. He he's a little I like Rick more. Listen, if I'm playing favorites with my like personality wise, yeah, like this guy is really interesting, but like uh, y you can tell he's he's trying to he like he knows business so well. You can tell that with his channel, he's trying to make the channel like a big thing, kind mm. of. Rick has way way more subscribers. Oh yeah, well Rick's been at it forever. Like what's Rick, the, Rick what's is a the well known name of the, instructor. Uh, the other guy, uh, Finn McKenty. Finn McKenty. Well, the channel's McKenty. the Punk Rock MBA. Yeah, the Punk okay. Rock it MBA. Has, it has eighty four thousand. So, yeah, so um, almost a tenth, <laughs> but yeah, a little more than a tenth. Uh, but yeah, Colin got me into these. And if there's a band you're interested in to figure out like why they got so big, and if there's a band that you're wondering why they didn't, because those stories are never not interesting. Like there's something always happened. Yeah. Uh, and if you want to learn more about like heavier genres of music, like I've learned a lot about metal music just because I've never done a deep dive before. Uh, so it's a really interesting, uh, informative channel. And it seems kind of focused on being a little on the historical side of things. Yeah, he, uh, my, me and Colin's impression of this dude is like, whenever he talks about a band, he'll be like, yeah, I have a lot of respect for Green Day. Like, we came up together in the vegan uh, deathcore crust punk scene in Seattle of the early 90s. 
Um, <laughs> but listen, I love you, Finn. The the cool thing about him is he's not uh, punk music in particular is very anti record labels, anti selling out, and he is very practical about it. He respects bands for selling out even if their music gets worse, which is always what I tend to say too. Like even yeah. if I don't like the music, Make it a career once they sell out. They, yeah, they're trying to feed mm-hmm. their families for life. Right. Well, like, that's that's kind of where I've been put. Like especially like for example, I mean, you talked about Fallout Boy earlier with their new album that came out last year. Well, it's not like. I don't think it's a great album or anything like that. They still, at this point, they've learned a way to reinvent themselves to stay relevant because you can't make an album like old Fallout Boy. That would just disappear into obscurity. Yeah, Like, exactly. at this point, you can't just it, make, and like, that genre is dead at this point. You have to find a way to change yourself as a band. Exactly. And I feel like we're going to, I mean, sooner in the next couple months, we're going to have a new Tame Impala record. And Tame Impala has already invented themselves once with Currents. And, like, their first couple albums are very, like, of a lost time with this psychedelic rock sound and then mm-hmm. they found this way to kind of introduce this 80s poppy dance disco yeah, yeah. Uh, rhythm into their music and I, I appreciate that when bands are able to change and not stay stagnant yeah like even in- you hear that Greta Van Vliet you hear that Greta <laughs> yeah he can be he can be very like self-aware and very critical of the punk community that he grew up in but he'll he can say it's like a crabs in a barrel thing where like if one band's about to get out of the system everyone will drag them back down and be like mm-hmm. no you don't get that record deal or else we shun you mm-hmm. green day in particular they blew up yeah. and everyone in the punk community shit on them uh but they didn't care they still like donate to their punk clubs that they came up in they still visit like they're they're cool dudes right um but yeah that's a good channel is before well. before you move on to your other thing i just want to say that i think we should try to make like a youtube segment out of this because i was just look just looking at these two guys uh channels it got me thinking that we could have a whole uh conversation about like how channels sort of grow mm-hmm. and the things that they do uh, to f- everything from like thumbnails to like the titles of the videos yeah exactly and like tapping into the algorithm of youtube because i've noticed that w- what a lot of channels do is they try to zero in on like a certain very specific topic mm-hmm. so that every single video that they put out is like they, they're all very similar to each other yeah and that's well that's the punk nba very much so yeah like, and his the, like just the way he presents himself is very fantano-esque he has the same background situation uh and you know his thumbnails are all you know youtube thumbnails because he's yep. a businessman and this is the business model of youtube it's not just a website for putting up your silly videos it's a website for making a living mm-hmm. if you can there really is like an art to doing it because even somebody like um uh, this is a much bigger channel, but even something like Hot Ones, they try and target people right before they're about to have a big project come out. So, like, right, like, uh, I'm I'm gonna talk to about Billie Eilish in a little bit. Billie Eilish did a Hot Ones like two weeks ago. That now people are starting to there's like, oh man, this new album's coming out. Oh wait, oh she did a Hot Ones. Yeah. Okay, let me check this out. Like it was it's like, already it's had like two weeks worth. Exactly. Of yeah. Over. Exactly. Yeah. That's like that's one of those things where you there's an art to how to actually target whenever, especially once you get to that point where you're able to bring on certain guests yeah. and everything and it's all about uh if you're if you're a one-man show though it's all about how long can you stretch out your content before you run out of right shit. right that's always interesting because with finn like what if he just runs out of bands then you have to <laughs> you have to have a gimmick of some kind you gotta yeah you it's... gotta figure something out because a lot of channels just sputter and then you go back like a couple years later you're like i wonder what he's up to and it's it's dire you know well, <laughs> i've seen a lot of people just embrace the guest 
uh, format. Oh, the yeah. interview format. Yeah, it's, you can never it's endless. Like, never, yeah, yeah, it's endless. That and like talking about the news are both mm-hmm. endless streams. Like Fantano will talk about new music. He'll, there will never not be yeah. new music. But even, with but with Fantano in particular, like he has a separate channel. Right, he has two channels. He has the one that's just called Fantano, and then obviously he has the Needle Drop. And I think that the fact that he is able to successfully run two separate channels under basically the same brand is indicative of the way YouTube works and YouTube success works, where you expect one type of video on one channel and another type of video on a different channel. Yeah, and there's like they're siloed off while still being connected via the personality and the brand. But there's but just they are, this, yeah, a lot of the separate time, consistency. Yeah, a lot of the time people will have their main content channel and then like more of a vlog situation where they're yeah. either either they're taking the camera out in real life or they're just kind of like more of a personal confessional channel. Or I mean, it's even I mean, like I was just looking, I was just watching some needle drop stuff earlier today, and uh, even like. Fantano at this point has learned how to make the most of dead time like when there isn't a lot of good albums coming out (laughs) he like he he's been doing a two-part thing about like top 10 albums that he's like changed his opinion on over time like stuff like that like uh, he did Weezer best to worst yeah like stuff like stuff like that you have to kind of find other stuff like other niches to meet when there is like dead time and whatever topic you're talking about uh, Fantano is a machine like yeah. there's he's unbelievable he, has he puts out so many yeah he people. has to have yeah. a team i don't know if he runs entirely runs his own twitter but he is creating fantano based memes yeah. on, a, on a daily basis no, almost people, on an hourly basis people do that now like he has like fans that just do it at yeah this yeah point. but he i mean he stays extremely active all over the internet like that i mean that's kind of what you have to do if you really want to make a living with your youtube content but anyway uh the next thing i want to talk about is you know, it's no YouTube channel. It's it's just a movie, but <laughs> um, I, oh. just some su- some fucking Spike Lee every yeah. year. Step up your YouTube game. <laughs> um, so yeah, I finally saw Do the Right Thing, um, and I'm I'm gonna come in with a hot take. It's a good movie, <laughs> and I like it. So I've never actually seen Do the Right Thing. It's it's always on like oh, my so watch good. list of things to watch, and I've just it's, never actually gotten around to seeing Do the Right it's Thing. It's actually it, genuinely like a it's a visionary movie. It's pretty unbelievable, and it's also unbelievable that it got no love at the Oscars. Hmm. Like that's that's the joke. After watching it, it's like this is the fresh. If it came out today, it would be fresh. But like, it's thirty years old. At yeah, this point. it came out nineteen eighty nine. Yeah, it's so it's very stylized. <laughs> yeah, the the script is extremely uh like it, it's very punchy. It has a voice to it, but it also is not afraid to have very genuine, real or dark moments. Um, the filmmaking though is is the highlight of the movie for me. Like he, every shot in this is uh, it's not even that it's just like oh that's a really good shot. Like I can see everything I need to see. It's he does extra. Like it's all extra. Yeah, he, it's all interesting shots, but not like Burton extra. No, well that's uh, this is a comparison I wanted to make because I personally am not the biggest Tim Burton fan. I don't dislike him, but a lot of the time it seems like he is doing uh, shots that are different or strange for no reason whatsoever. And every shot in this movie is a extra and it serves a purpose. It's not just like randomly in there. Like, and you're just like, what the fuck was going on with that one? <laughs> like, it's a beautifully done movie. Like will, everything about it. He yeah. invented like certain shots that are now in movies that you yeah, watch something, you dolly. see the double dolly and you're just like, oh, Spike Lee made that. I like, will I will always remember. I haven't seen this movie in a while, a couple of years, but I'll always remember like the f- opening sh- like sequence, the first few minutes of the movie are just so iconic. Cause like, 
you have these kids that are playing in this like bursting fire hydrant and just the way he makes Brooklyn look yeah. You feel the heat of that sweltering summer day. Yeah, this is yeah, exactly. And cuz that's what the whole movie is kind of like a pastiche. It does have like main characters you could call them, but it it covers a lot of people just getting through a hot day in Brooklyn. Um and you know the the overlying theme is that it makes people angry. <laughs> the yeah. heat. Um but this is a movie about like like rising tension, like rising heat internally. It's about uh, racial action, racial injustice, and different ideologies clashing. Uh, but it's not serious. It's a very well, entertaining, so fun movie. It's it's it has this really lighthearted tone of just like kind of just everyone being racist to each other, um, and it's not in a way that's like you're like angry at it because it's Spike and Spike is in the movie by the way, and he's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. He's really funny. But it's it's just a brilliant tone, and then it does by the end. It's just so it's not one of those movies, kind of like. Uh, a link later where it just kind of like goes through a day it does come to a head like it builds to a climax and then a conclusion but it, it just struck an amazing balance for me like everything about the movie was admirable i think it's very it's still poignant to this day um i would give it like a, a nine out of ten i think like it's it was truly it was better than any tim burton movie that i've seen not that that's like a fair comparison. That doesn't yeah, really make he sense. He was nominated for best screenplay, best original screenplay mm. at the Oscars. Didn't yeah. win, but didn't win. There's yeah. a there's a great video of someone presenting an award at the Oscars that year and saying like going off script and shouting out. Do yeah, the right that thing. one lady. I yeah, forgot her name. She's like, you know, all these movies are great, but we're not. We should talk about do the right thing. And the whole crowd is like, yeah, we should. <laughs> like they're clapping. Anyway, the winner is Driving Miss Daisy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, the winner is Green Book, and but yeah, go home. sweltering take. It's really good. Um, cool. <laughs> as hot as a Brooklyn summer day. Yeah, that's our headline Do the for right the episode. Thing. All right, is there anything else? Uh, nah, dude. All right, Hunter. Um, so I wanted to uh, quickly give a shout out. Ray was on the podcast last week talking about uh, Final Fantasy Nine, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the Switch. And guess what? As of uh, Tuesday this week, Final Fantasy, or last week, Final Fantasy Seven is now on the Switch. The so, classic. Okay, that, that's what I was about to ask. Yeah. It's they, not the remake that It's not the on. remastered, which is coming out um, at some point this year. It's announced. Um, it's announced. I don't know if it actually has a date yet. I'm trying to look it up. Anyways, um, so Final Fantasy Seven. The original game is on the Switch, and Ray kind of touched on it last week, but what they've done for the Switch version is genius. Um, they have, like, there's certain things that you can do where, because the thing is, the original game, it came out in 1997. It's a hard fucking game. Like, it's really difficult. The turn-based style, it gets kind of infuriating while you're playing it, that you're just, like, trying to go about the story and everything, and you're just walking around, and then you just have this, like, open battle that you have to or like multiple battles that you have to get through to get from place to place and they're like all really difficult and you always have to stock up on potions and all this stuff this is actually the third time that i have bought this game <laughs> and i am determined that this time will be the time that i beat it i have the original playstation copy oh. on ps1 i bought the digital you can't copy play it. Yeah, I don't have a PS1 to actually play because PS4s aren't backwards compatible. Um, I have the PS4 uh, digital copy, which I played a little bit of. I'm already further along in the Switch copy than I have been in any in either of my other two iterations. I'm probably about six, seven hours in or so. Um, 
this game is amazing. Like the story of this game, it despite the fact that you're looking at polygons talking to each other, like this game is so good and it's so like it has a humor to it. There's a point where um early on in the game you're trying to sneak into one of the um you're at, you're playing as Cloud, of course, and uh, your best friend slash maybe a third piece of your love triangle that you have with you and Ares uh, gets kidnapped into this like brothel area, and you have to find a way to sneak in. So the only way for you to do that is to like cross dress as a woman. So you have to go find like a wig and a dressmaker and everything, and just get in there, and everybody's just like, "Oh man." You're a beautiful woman. He's <laughs> playing as this dude. Damn, this game was woke. Yeah, this game was so woke. Um, <laughs> Sounds like Japanese it. were on it yeah, back dude. in 1997. <laughs> no, this game is like it's amazing. It has a really good story to it. Because the thing is that now we just like look back on this whole like thing. There's like ah, Cloud is the ultimate symbol of good, and Sephiroth is just pure evil and everything else. But there's like actually like a dynamic story with Sephiroth where you can kind of feel a little bit for his character about a... He's basically this monster who was created and not actually ever really born, and it's kind of him dealing with the struggle. There's a whole flashback sequence that you play with as Cloud, like whenever he's uh, with Soldier, like working alongside Sephiroth, like as best friends. Um... This game is so good, uh, but what I was going to speak of, how they remaster it for the Switch, is you can pretty much, you can choose to either completely turn off all wild battles. Um, you can do three times mode, which is so nice for just being able to go back Zip and right zoom through. right through. Um, the dialogue, cool. certain scenes move so much faster. And then another thing you can do, which is, I've been cheating a little bit, um, playing God, it this way. Come on. But you can basically play it so that you always have limit and your health is like auto restoring. Because the thing is that the story to this game is amazing, but the gameplay itself can get really difficult. And that's why I've gotten discouraged before while playing it, just because it's like, I really want to play this game, but like, you know, it's like any game from that time period is just, there's made harder back then. Like, gamers were just like more dedicated back then. And it's perfect for the Switch that I can just play it for like. 15 minutes to a couple hours and then just like all right i'll just save mm. here and just come back a little bit later and just pick right up wherever i left off that they've remastered it perfectly i really after being this game i can't wait to play uh, final fantasy 9 on the switch and um i wish that the remastered version would be coming on the switch because now i feel like i'm spoiled and this is like oh, the perfect way to play did the they game announce what it's systems? only coming on PS4 and Xbox One huh. because huh. it's going to be in, like, super high high def. Yeah. I can't wait to see how this game is realized in... Well, uh, they, they showed, like, the cinematic. They showed, like, certain clips of it, but there are, like, still certain cinematic elements to it where there aren't just, like, polygons walking around yeah. in this plane. Well, that's... I wanted to ask you, uh, have you ever seen Advent Children? Yes, I have. Okay. I actually loved that movie as a kid. <laughs> I don't think it's a very good movie. All but, I remember uh, from it is just, like, them fighting like there was the was fighting sequences are amazing um from what i remember about it, it was very abstract yeah and it's not it the story itself doesn't really make yeah, a lot of cool sense fighting. but it is funny like while playing the certain games there will be like scenes like early on in the movie you're in this church and you it's the first time that you meet Ares, and she's staying there in this like church with a hole in the roof and there's just like flowers growing and i remember that scene vividly from advent children yep but like 
I can't really tell you what happens in that. I just remember being a child and watching like hype uh, music videos of like <laughs> Three Days Grace Animal Live become to the, yeah. the scenes of Advent Children. Okay, now I'm listening. So now, now I got you back in. Here. I know you. I saw you fading off right there. Yeah, for I was. A bit, I was but, somewhere else. I was playing um, COD Four Remaster <laughs> yeah. in my brain. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean this game is amazing. If you have a Switch, I can't recommend this game enough because, like I said, like. I've been kind of doing a mix of playing the actual, like, the game the way it's intended to, and then also if I'm just like, I just want to, like, kind of, like, advance a little bit in the story, you can do that. The thing is that the game, you have to play it for, like, six hours before you even get to the open world gameplay of it all. You spend the first Jesus. chunk of the game just in Midgar, the city, and the first time that you walk out, it's, like, mind-blowing because you think that this whole game is just going to take place in this one small city that's, like, crumbling to its core, and then you just walk out into this map, and you see this, like, huge open world all around you for Damn. you to go to explore. Um, yeah, no, this game is amazing. Um, definitely recommend it. The next thing I wanted to talk about is a movie from this year that uh, we never uh, reviewed or talked about or anything on this podcast, but it's about to leave theaters. It might have already left your theater by now. I didn't even realize it was in Orlando. I didn't see any like advertising. Yeah, for... it's it went very under the radar because it's A24, but this movie is Climax. Um, oh, oh, man. So this is a movie. It's from, um, I'm going to, Gaspar. Gaspar No. No? Yeah. Okay. I know we know. Um, but he's made uh, movies like Into the Void. Enter the void. Enter bro. the void. Excuse me. It's <laughs> um, trippy. Enter the Spider Verse. Enter the Spider Verse. Um, this movie, uh, I've never seen Enter the Void, but uh, this movie, honestly, it gave me an anxiety attack while watching this movie. Um, and that being said, I love this film. <laughs> I really love it. Um, if you've ever done any kind of a hallucinogen or anything like that, even just gotten really um, high off of Soylent. Soylent. If you've ever gotten really off the Soylent, um, this will make you never want to try Soylent ever again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's why I'm not going to watch it. Like, I don't want to have Soylent ruined for me. I, ha I microdose Soylent every morning. <laughs> so, I'm talking uh, about the actual Soylent yeah. now. I do drink Soylent. Um, I do not take acid every morning. <laughs> Rest assured, I'm not, like, getting holes in my brain. We have to disclose. <laughs> okay, what are you acid? What is that about? I thought there's. there's we don't condone Soylent. the use of Soylent um, on this podcast. Yeah, but Soylent, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, I did want to talk about a bit about this movie. So basic setup. I don't mind. I can spoil this movie for you because it doesn't take anything away from the movie itself. It's about this dance troupe in France. Um, that it's their last night of rehearsal before they go on this big world tour. Um, the way that this movie is shot, it's. I'm not exaggerating. It's some of the best choreography I've ever seen in a movie in my life. Like, they have scenes. I think there's one shot that it's like 40 minutes without cutting. Like, that's insane. Think about, like, but half it, of this trickery, movie. Is there, like, Birdman there is, there is some of that, yeah. but not in, the, in this one take. Like, it is legitimately. It's just all so choreographed on this dolly that they built that it's just all one continuous take throughout this whole thing. Um it is unbelievable. It takes its place. It's the story. It's the last rehearsal before this band goes on tour, or this uh, troupe, I guess I should say. And uh, they're having this big party, and they're all drinking the sangria, and somebody put, like, a shit ton of acid in the sangria. And people are just drinking, like, cup after cup, just thinking they're just getting drunk over time. And suddenly it all hits them, like, oh, no, we're, like, tripping, like, out of our minds. Imagine taking, like... 
30 40 tabs of acid like it's yeah. it's like that level yeah the thing is i where... don't i don't want to imagine that <laughs> but what's genius about this movie versus something like uh fear and loathing or any like we've seen movies that are very trippy beforehand before this dumbo <laughs> <laughs> the original 1940s dumbo um but what they do in this movie that's genius is you don't see like the trippy visuals or anything like that. Instead, you're just watching these people like lose their minds, which is so much more effective than just seeing like Johnny Depp look across a bar and see like a dancing cartoon character. Like you're just watching them like just start losing their mind dancing on the dance floor or somebody like seeing something on their face and they start like cutting their body (laughs) this movie is savage but it's so much more effective it's all in the reactions it's all in the the facial acting and it's unbelievable job i've never seen like any of these actors in here before uh before this movie and what gaspar does or uh, no does in this movie is just really like capture that fear and almost like that feeling of like dread where this movie is only 96 minutes but it feels like you're like trapped there with them it feels like this endless night that's never going to end um i recommend this movie if you're in the mindset for it I was not really in the mindset before I went into this movie. Yeah, I, I talked to you afterward, and you weren't feeling it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, because the thing is that I saw this movie, I had, like, my stomach was hurting really bad, and I was like, oh, well, this movie's going to leave theaters, so I didn't really know what I was getting into. I was like, oh, let's go check this out or anything else like that. And, um, yeah, no, it was. I, I don't recommend doing it like that. But if you're in the mindset for it, do it. If somebody drugs you and then you watch this movie, you might want to blow your brains out while watching it, so don't do that. Is it... Okay, so... I keep thinking about Suspiria with this with this movie. Is it as like upsetting as some of the stuff that happens in Suspiria? So um, it's funny that you said Suspiria because there is definitely some similarities to Suspiria. To Suspiria, there is like this dance troupe. It is primarily like women, and there is some uh like very like flashing red imagery that's kind of indicative of the last Demonic. scene of uh, yeah. Suspiria. Yeah. A lot of demonic tones, but you kind of, I mean, it's, while you're trapped there, you're kind of thinking this, but then afterwards you can kind of think back and just be like, okay, it's just kind of all of this, that you almost feel like at a certain point, you're high watching this movie. I did not do any kind of substances before I saw this film, but I almost, this movie like made me high while watching it, (laughs) because it was just like, felt like just this feeling of uh, just complete, uh, just this feeling of being completely trapped and almost like the room was closing in claustrophobia. on me. Yeah, just so much claustrophobia. People like actually die in this movie that are either killed or are sent to their death basically from this film because people are all losing their minds. Oh my god. Um yeah, no I this isn't a movie that I enjoyed wa- watching, but after the fact I'm like, yeah, no, this movie was amazing. <laughs> so um it's one of those films. Like I'm down for horror, but I'm not going to watch this. Oh, this is uh, scarier than us. This yeah, is scarier well, yeah. than any horror movie that will come out this yeah, year. Yeah, because it's not, it's like almost not horror. It's just upsetting, it sounds like. It just seems like viscerally upsetting to watch. It is very, very visceral. Yeah, so I don't, like, I had, I'd appreciate it. Like, when Colin first told me about it, I was like, oh, that sounds fascinating. But then I thought about it some more, and I was like, that sounds... Like, it might be torturous. There's uh, one scene in particular. I don't want to spoil it in case you watch it, but there is a small boy that is involved. 
um, who he drinks some of the sangria. Oh, no. And it's some of the most upsetting things. It's one of the most upsetting things that I've seen in a movie in a long oh time. So I this movie, that being said, I do really enjoy it. If everything I've described to you does not sound like something <laughs> that you'd be into, don't watch it because this movie <laughs> will not change your mind. But if that's something, if you're into kind of movies like uh, Enter the Void or anything, even if you're just like watch Fear and Loathing like passively, then maybe this is a movie that you'd enjoy. Um, one other thing I wanted to talk about, brought her up a couple weeks ago, my girl, my 17-year-old girl. Oh, jeez. Ew. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Billie Eilish released an album this week. Um, it's a, it's guys, a dope album. It's a great album. Yeah. It honestly, I was thinking about it. I was looking through my favorite albums of the year, and I think that this is my favorite album of the year that's come out so far. Granted, we're about three months in, so it's still really early. Um, but this album is amazing. Uh, Billie Eilish, When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? is the name of the album. It's produced by her brother. Written written and produced by her brother. Um, Yeah, they co-wrote the songs together and everything else, but the way that she perfectly blends like this very poppy sound, like she can make songs that will be radio hits immediately with also this very like, some songs are really heartfelt and touching, like um, When the Party's Over is like a song that I just like listen to and almost like chokes me up while listening to the song. Or uh, uh, Wish You Were Gay, which has this like very cheery, uplifting message, but it's really about somebody rejecting her and her just being like, I wish you were gay just because then I'd have an excuse <laughs> for why you don't want to be with me that I could blame it on. Um, really, really love this album. What were your thoughts uh, listening to uh, it? I like I think there's a lot of skippable tracks, but the ones that aren't skippable are like absolute bangers. Uh, I'm looking at the track list now. Uh, Bury a Friend... Oh, and so uh, bad guy are yeah, ba- so fucking bad good. Guy. Like the, the, just this pulsating, uh, like really deep bass, and just very like kind of propulsive, almost like house dancey sort of vibe, but still with like this pop sensibility to it. You know, it's like it's it's somehow a song that could play on the radio, uh, but also a song that could play at like the grimiest fucking nightclub. Yeah. Especially with, like, Bury a Friend or something like that. But Bad Guy, uh, it was... Because that's the first real song in the album, and that wasn't a single before it came out. As soon as it came out, it was like, oh, yeah, no, this song's going to play, yeah. like, everywhere. This song and they is do great. some really interesting effects to her voice. Yeah. You know, they, they either make her sound, like, kind of glitchy or uh, if there is kind of, like, just weird effects. Uh, sometimes, like, a little kind of low and garbled, and, like, she's kind of, like, a different person it almost it sounds demonic like older like it, yeah like kind of demonic uh but yeah there's a couple songs that uh i just kind of i just kind of press the skip because it's just like there's not that much bringing me in like those other songs that are just like i can really fucking dance to and then when it goes into some of these more kind of ballad uh spaces i'm not that into it i'll keep listening to it and see if those songs grow on me but it's sort of a mixed bag for me and overall it's kind of weird that she's only 17 
because she's singing about some like weird shit. Yeah, and no. she looks like the some of the promotional material for the album. Like she looks it's like very a, dark. Yeah, she no, she kind of does look like a demon on the album cover, and then like some of the other images, like her eyes are like bleeding or something. Yeah, it's like bleeding like black blood and shit like that. Like she almost has the aesthetic of like a. 35 year old metal artist yeah but it's it's, it's <laughs> fucking weird but i think i also think it's kind of cool it's yeah, just weird it's that just very 17. different like yeah. it's it's very like jarring and i feel like that's one of the things she has a so song called zanny yeah no so this album <laughs> sick a couple of points um this album produced with her brother uh phineas um they made this album in their parents basement what okay yeah. so, not in a production studio in her no parents basement well and the production on here is incredible that's because their parents basement is a production studio yeah. their parents work in music there yeah that makes sense <laughs> yes um, but like so they're still, getting a lot of they're, they're just getting a lot of like diy credit that i i don't think they necessarily it's like uh, you, they're kind of uh you remember how hansen used to get pushed as like yeah they just we just gave him out of nowhere and, yeah, yeah. And the, meanwhile their parents are like whoosh, like <laughs> get to it it's not like it's a bad thing because everyone's a plant. Like everyone in pop music is. Came I mean, from they're somewhere. from LA. Yeah, so exactly. They, they have that. Yeah. Kind of um. Backing. But yeah, I've only listened to a few of her songs. Uh. And here's my my take. Christina Perry walked, <laughs> so Billie Eilish could soar. Uh. And I say that knowing that Billie Eilish is a lot better. <laughs> I was gonna say, is that yeah. like a dig on? Who is that a dig on? <laughs> no, man. It's just a, a compliment to everyone involved. Um, Who do you think you are? Remember that? Yeah. yeah. Um, Jar of Hearts. So uh, to your point about the ballads, the ballads are actually, because I've listened to this album probably four or five times now. The um, ukulele one's good. Yeah. Which uh, one's eight. That one? Eight. Yeah. That, that song is great. It's good it's really good because it comes after this really like powerful ballad when the party's over. And then you have like this kind of more uplifting that almost just sounds like it's like. It sounds like it almost could be on like a Disney movie if they change the lyrics around. Like it could be on like Lilo and Stitch, um, but it's from that into My Strange Addiction, which samples The Office. That's the one. The threat level midnight. Oh yeah. And so we're talking here as three three grown men who <laughs> spent a better part of what two three years watching The Office literally on repeat. Yeah. I've probably seen all of The Office. At least a dozen yeah. times, probably well more than that. Um, and so, as soon as that happened, you hear "Threat Level Midnight" and you hear Michael Scarn coming in. It's so cool, and the way they sample the Scarn, like do the Scarn, yeah. and then bring that into the beat of this song is so awesome. And just the, I mean, the title of the song, "My Strange Addiction," is perfect for that. Um, yeah, I really like perfect show that's by the way. Um, track. So uh, the song "I Love You," I really like. That's a really great ballad. Um, it's actually uh, written about uh, XXX Tentacion because they were actually really good friends before he died. That's is, is that problematic? Probably because she's a child and he's known for touching tots. Yeah, but, you know. Oh he, yeah, he's like generally a bad person. But she still, uh, she still cares about him. And also, "Listen Before I Go" is a song about like. Uh, it's also written slightly as an ode to him and also just kind of dealing with depression of like listening to like, like this is kind of my last message before I kill myself. Like listen to this before I'm gone and passed on. Um, rest, by the way, rest in peace, Billie Eilish. Uh, no, <laughs> no she, she'll be completely fine. Is, is that she, her on the album cover? Yep. That is her. It, Cause it kind of looks like a mix between Aubrey Plaza and Jack White. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, that's definitely her. Um, <laughs> she actually, it's fine. So this, it's like a small thing for if you've been following Billie Eilish. I have been mostly just because my girlfriend uh, guy has been obsessed with Billie Eilish for a while. So like the way the song starts out is with seven exclamation points. Um, it's her taking out her Invisalign, which if you ever watch a uh, an interview with her or something like that, she wears Invisalign and she like reaches a point where she'll be like talking to somebody and she gets a lisp and she, she just gets mad and like takes it out in the middle while they're talking and everything Ew. else like that. So it's really gross, but that kind of almost sums up Billie Eilish as a person is like, you're watching her grow up through her music and everything else like that. Like she's going to be in the limelight for a long time. How this is-, is one of the most pre-downloaded and pre-bought albums of all time. Yeah, that's that's what I was about to ask. Like, how? Because she... Just because the connections a, that her family has? Well, and also because it's L.A. Like, it, she's been on the L.A. forefront. She Her out, first uh, big song was a just song called Ocean Eyes. Um, she's which, just featuring, uh, like, everywhere. So this is her first real studio release. Um, she had uh, an album... That was like kind of a studio release before this. It's not actually even on Spotify now that I'm looking at it. But Ocean Eyes uh, came out, and that song went platinum um, just because it was so. She has two EPs. Yeah, from uh, 2017. Mm. So, um, Ocean Eyes was 2016. Yeah, she like wrote that whenever she was really young. But uh, it's song. She's just kind of been blowing up on the West Coast for a while now. And she even did a song. She's actually friends with Khalid and did a song with Khalid Lovely, which is a beautiful song. Like their voices complement each other in the best kind of ways. Um, really recommend this. Al- I feel like this album is kind of like perfect because it draws in both people who like pop music and also people who like something like it kind of has this AM Arctic Monkeys feel to it where it yeah. feels very dark. Um yeah. AM, it, it, well, it's kind of techno. Like the house influences are yeah. pretty obvious too. I I really love this album. I can't wait to keep listening to it. Okay, so Billie Eilish. Um, all right, so let me get through my stuff real quick. Uh, staying on that music train, I want to do a quick little small artist spotlight. So Billie Eilish is over there sucking up all the limelight, <laughs> while all the little ones are just taking all the scraps all the quarter cents they can get from spotify streams and one of those is this guy called sam avian like the, like the water yeah like the water okay. uh but that's a stage name um because he, he isn't part of the avian family that makes water no no he uh his actual name is sam owens and he just goes by same avian um well that sounds too much like a country name yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so i I found this guy like through, I guess, just through the Spotify algorithm. Like he just came up through one of my daily mixes or something like that. And usually, it it takes a lot of me to like really stop when when I hear something that kind of catches my ear. It really takes a lot for me to, like stop and actually like re-listen to that artist and dig into their what they do. Usually, I'm just like, oh, okay, that's that's nice. That's mm. on to the next one. But this guy just really caught my ear because it just struck this very particular chord in my taste sensibilities where it's this sort of um, he's modern from New York. So young guy, the current guy, um, but he has this almost like kind of Simon and Garfunkel vibe to his music. So kind of old timey, kind of Beach Boysy. That's cool. A little bit. Um, And. 
but done through the prism of some newer artists like something like Mac DeMarco or the War on Drugs. I'm I'm interested okay. right now. So it's it's this it's this uh imagine if Tame Impala wasn't influenced by the Beatles but was intense in, instead influenced by like Simon and Garfunkel essentially. So like very folksy but still trying to go for kind of that psychedelic type of deal. Um so there's you know there's these um kind of soaring guitars that you get in in a uh on war, on a war on drugs type song but then the vocals sound very um actually the the vocals remind me a little bit of MGMT okay Ooh. yeah kind okay. of like that higher sort of nasally upper register yeah. type deal uh yeah so he has he's put out two albums they're called i think one is called cherry tree uh yeah, Cherry Tree. That was no, that's the new single. Um the albums are called You Forever and Premium. Mm. 2016 and 2018. I uh I like what you're throwing at me. I yeah. like I like these words you're saying. Yeah, so so <laughs> it, it reminded me of Tame Impala, but it doesn't have it it there's nothing of like the new tame in this yeah, of yeah. like the poppiness. Yeah. It's like that kind of more of like the inner speaker vibe of like the drawn out guitars, drawn out instrumental sections. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's not as like dreamy and ambient as the War on Drugs. Okay. It's a little bit more grounded and sort of uh, homegrown. Are like, we like Mac DeMarco? Are we getting any hints of Vampire Weekend in there? Because they are very notably influenced by Simon and Garfunkel. Well, Vampire Weekend. Vampire Weekend, they they go for more of like the upbeat sort of thing, you know, like their mm. songs you can play at a party and people were, will dance to them. Yeah, the, the, I don't think this is the case. So he Sam didn't he, he didn't take the Paul Simon like what Vampire Weekend took from Paul Simon is like the African rhythms mm-hmm. that he stole from Africa. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so no, this is so more of like that. this is more of like the sound sound of silence. Okay, Simon and Garfunkel. Ooh, okay. yeah, okay. Uh, so yeah, Sam Avian, Spotify, check him out. Uh, I'm just going to fly through these next few things, uh, so that we can wrap it up today. Uh, I finished Escape at Danamora on Showtime. <sighs> I need to watch the show. <laughs> it's fantastic. A Ben Absolute, Stiller joint. Yeah, absolutely fucking phenomenal series. It's only seven episodes. The final episode is basically a movie because it's 90 minutes. Um, and you just get the sense that they really wanted this to feel exactly like the real thing down to the specific uh locations where they shot this like they literally went and shot this at the exact spots where all of this went down the same town the same uh prison the same road where uh the guys were kind of hiding out everything is just fully authentic patricia arquette as um, uh, the woman that helps the, the two inmates escape, she absolutely uh, disappears into this role. And, like, you can do a side-by-side comparison of the real lady with how Patricia Arquette looks in the show. It's identical. So absolutely I, identical. I did want to uh, shout because... Um, Her name is Joyce Mitchell. 
I do want to shout out uh, Ben Stiller actually just did an interview on the Bill Simmons podcast. I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to it or not. I haven't finished it. I listened to a good bit of it. It's kind of fascinating because they go through Ben Stiller's career. He has one of the most fascinating careers ever because he like – he started out, of course, he's the son of Jerry Stiller, who is a like all-time great, like classic comedian. Uh, he's also known as the dad on King of Queens. It's probably what <laughs> most younger people yeah, honestly to our generation, know him yeah, as. Absolutely. Um, but he tried to make it as a director starting out, and he made like reality bites, and uh, um, he start he started to try and like get his way in. He directed and starred in all the episodes of the Ben Stiller Show back in the day, back in 1992, and then he was made a movie called The Cable Guy which put him notably in director's jail yeah. because that movie like was such did, did a well. huge bomb it was such a huge bomb that he kind of disappeared for five years and he had to kind of make his way as a comedian as a comedy actor which is what he's most notably known for but that's never what he actually wanted to do he wanted to direct right and then he made Zoolander in 2001 which we now look at as a classic but at that time that movie failed because that came out the weekend after 911 mm-hmm. much the like- same time as Max Keeble yeah Whoa. Max Keeble and Zoolander were taking away money from yeah. each other I don't want to yeah with, I don't want to blame along Max with Keeble, Al-Qaeda but- <laughs> the three of them were all vying for importance that they, weekend yeah, they, were, they all had the headlines so what instead you're of saying just- <laughs> what you're saying is that Zoolander 2 will be the unsung classic of this decade. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Um, but then he kind of like disappeared for a bit, kind of just made his way as a comedy actor to meet the parents, meet the Fockers, stuff like that. And then he's, since he directed, I totally forgot, he directed Tropic Thunder. Right. Like as long as starring movie. in it, he directed that movie. And that movie is excellently yeah. directed. And people kind of just like forgot about him yeah. as a director. And they made Secret Life of Walter Mitty. And, uh, Which um, Adam Sidori is friend of the pod. He stands by that movie. Mm. I mean, uh, that's a, yeah. But you know, this, sure. so this show, it feels like a movie. The reason why it's sort of stretched out to be this like seven and a half hour thing is because you want to understand the amount of time that went into them actually breaking out of prison. It wasn't like an instant thing. Yeah, it took this dude months to just chip away at this these series of brick walls underground and also the relationship that developed b- with these two inmates and this lady because it was like this weird fucked up romantic triangle where she was she was having sex with them in the back of the sewing studio where uh where they were like where they all worked not not a threesome but she like she fucked one of them <laughs> and then he got transferred and then she fucked the other one mm. and they kind of this woman Terrific. was so like unassuming and and unhappy with her marriage that they like used her to escape. Uh, to plan this escape and she like smuggled uh tools into the prison to help them cut through the pipe and shit and the the episode episode five is when we actually see them actually escape and it's done perfectly astonishingly flawless because it's the series of, of long takes like you know we talk about these tracking long take shots all the time in peak tv and in this show it's perfect because you're like you're with them every single second of when they're actually doing this breakout and how ben stiller shot this i i i was just like how like how are you getting this camera through these tiny tiny openings and through these pipes like there's got to be some cgi trickery going on fincher does that type of thing but it's like absolutely mind-blowing because the camera's just floating like through these tiny holes and squeezing through these pipes and going down these 
hallways and I was just fucking mind. So so how would where would you rate this? Because I've literally only heard amazing things. I've never heard a bad so thing. So if, about if this. I could amend my list of TV shows from last year, I would probably put it at number three. Okay. That's, so right that's right above Maisel and right below Homecoming. Wow. Okay. Um yeah. Because Homecoming, like, just kind of elevate, like, it's on this other level. But this this show has like this this grit to it. You know, there's just like this texture to it. And I don't know if it's because of the performances or the the way Ben Stiller shot it. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that uh, the the amount of access that they were given, that they were able to get a lot of shots at the actual prison, really, and up there in that town, the the manhole where they come out. Uh, outside of the prison like they shot at the real manhole that's really so cool. just just details that's like that are just perfect um and you know once you get to the end of the final episode once it all just comes to a head and uh you know this is a real thing like this actually happened but i wasn't fully i knew that like this had happened back in 2015 and i'd seen like the news footage and stuff but i didn't like fully keep up with every single second right. of it um, so I, I was, I had an idea of how it was going to end, but I wasn't like checking the boxes of like everything that happened. So there was still an element of surprise, but then I went back after finishing it and I compared it to the real life footage and it's just, I was just blown away. It's like exact, like there is no, Ben Stiller just wants you to be, uh, in, in full realism mode and through the performances and everything he does with the directing and and whoever wrote it, I, I don't have the the writer pulled up right now, but it's all just perfect. That's good. Also, I gotta mention Benicio del Toro because Paul Dano is amazing. He really surprised me. One of his best performances. But Benicio del Toro <laughs> is doing some weird fucking. That's an shit that's an evergreen comment. Show like he is. <laughs> there's one scene early on where he first tells Patricia Arquette's character that they're gonna break out, that they're gonna escape. And he, like, gives her this look where he just stands, like, very tall, menacing in front of this kind of shorter stature woman. And he just kind of, like, puts – he goes full, like, sewer monster <laughs> mode. And he's like, don't tell anybody. See, Benicio is – he's – he kind of reminds me of Johnny Depp in a few ways where, like, he's always doing something. Like, he's always going for something a little strange, and it doesn't always work. But at least he's trying something strange. Yeah, I guess. Like in that Star Wars, I don't think that necessarily worked. Yeah, the stutter. But it was interesting. Right? It was. Yeah, he he was trying to. Do it was something. something. I want Ben Stiller. I'm hoping this uh, this show will give him more work. I know that he's set to make a movie called We Live in Public, which mm. is about a uh, Josh Josh Harris, who's like kind of this entrepreneur who like made it big at the beginning of the dot com boom. It's based on a documentary, from what I. Uh, it's kind of like Halt and Catch Fire a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Jonah Hill is Scoot McNary. Um, but, uh, I, I mean, this is, I, from what I've heard early on, jo Jonah Hill is starring in this role, and he's trying to push this as, like, maybe his Oscar push to finally get him an Oscar or something like that. But I'm hoping that, I mean, Ben Stiller will kind of make it back in the limelight. Like, it's yeah. been 20 years at this point. Like, I, make Ben Stiller a director again. I can't recommend the show enough. It's it's all right. excellent. Uh, all right. Real quick, I saw the the Departed on Netflix. I so I was good. I was sick this week, so I just kind of wanted something to watch. Dude, great sick movie. I watched it last year when I was sick. Yeah, loved it. Yeah, it's it's not like 
I mean, it won the Oscar, so I can't say that's a bad movie. I wouldn't call it like an amazing. I don't even know movie. if it's in top five Scorsese movies. No, the reason the reason why I wanted to bring it up on the pod today is because I listened to the rewatchables that Bill Simmons and Chris Ryan did, and one of the things that they talked about on that uh, pod it ties into like your parabola theory a little bit ah. that sometimes the most rewatchable movies are not the, the best. best movies. Yeah, and absolutely. That's what Chris Ryan was saying that like there will be blood perfect film, not the most rewatchable yeah. movie, but uh, the departed very flawed, but, and you know, like Bill Simmons, he's always on like the cable train, like, Oh, like let's right. jump into this movie, like 40 minutes in and watch it till yeah, X well, point or to the yeah. end. And the departed's like perfect. Cause it's yeah. kind of the way it's structured. It just keeps like flipping it's insane. back and forth. Yeah, there's between. so much going on. It's a shit show. It's a shit show of every A-list actor in the world yeah, that yeah. can pull off an Italian accent. And everyone accent. is fighting for attention. Like, yeah, everyone yeah. wants to be the lead of and, the movie. And the winner is Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> I mean, he was he was nominated for his performance. Yeah, he he's, slays. He's, he's great like, in that movie. He's like Martin Scorsese cast me as a fucking Boston cop. And in he's his like, movie. this is my I'm time. I'm gonna go. For well, yeah. this is my time. I mean, Scorsese found out that Wahlberg committed a hate crime in real life. And he was like, oh, uh, yeah, you're in. Like, you're going to get an Oscar nomination. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, I to that whole point about, I mean, I don't, I think that this Gone Girl is a better movie than The Departed. But, for example, I now have live TV thanks to Hulu, Hulu live TV. Um, Hulu now has live sports, too. What's going, you what's going on with you? Um, but, you're wearing uh, <laughs> a bunch of branded gear. <laughs> I, I am. I, I got this tattoo over here. I don't know. I thought it was just like um, a phase. You're wearing but... big Dumbo ears. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I Gone Girl was on the other day. And I was like, oh, sweet. I have like t- an hour and a half before work. I just put it on. I was like, oh, let's see through. Oh, Gone Girl's on here. And it hit that. That point where it's like right when stuff is starting to like you're starting to kind of question everything it's one of those movies where you can just jump right in you're like okay i know exactly what's happening i just want to jump right in from here and that's kind of the mark of a great rewatchable movie which a great movie and a rewatchable movie are two completely different right. categories that rarely have crossover with each other but yeah no i i agree the departed while it does have definite flaws i still love that movie it's so fun it's, it's so much yeah, it's fun. a blast yeah. dude. and like so the much plot fun. doesn't make any sense no it's it's no. schlocky it has plenty of holes if you really think the about it the end of but... that movie is just like what yeah wait what no what like that's, no, that's yeah. what the every, end of the movie is whole thing. Dies. that's yeah. that's one of my favorite scorsese's even though it's not i don't think one of his best but like it's almost it doesn't fit into my parabola it almost like my my parabola needs a third dimension <laughs> i need to go Ooh, like an, a z-axis an a an eight out of ten i need sometimes yeah. be better than a ten out of 10. I, I need to go 4d yeah. with, with this shit because yeah because some an a schlocky eight is better than a straightforward 10 sometimes but not always. Sometimes just you're in, for sometimes you're in it the, needs a yeah. rewatchability. That's access. the thing. This my my parabola is a watchability thing. The the rewatchability chart is very strange. Right. Like because that is such a rewatchable. Like exactly. it's so much fun, yeah. man. And then the other one is Heat, which is also on Netflix. <laughs> Actually, I think by the time you're listening to this, it won't be on Netflix. So I was kind of doing that thing where I keep up with what's going, what's getting taken off, and I and I watch it. Heat is like a three hour crime epic, and it doesn't. Feel like it. It feels like this, like just very almost like a character drama of this cop and this and this robber who just they. It's really funny that everyone kind of ties this movie to The Dark Knight because essentially Chris Nolan remade Heat 
with the Dark Knight. <laughs> like, there are so many similarities of, like, the criminal and the cop that just can't quit each other <laughs> and that need each other. Yeah. And that they have the chance to, like, be normal people and live normal lives, but they just... They, they just can't quite do it. Yeah. And it's it's Pacino and De Niro on screen together for the first time. And that was when they were both killing it. it yeah. Was, it was before Pacino fell off a little bit. Right. Yeah. And, right, right. So right. They were both, it's 95. That was big. And there's so many other people in this movie, like Val Kilmer, Natalie Portman. John Voight. Uh, John Voight's great. John Voight, John Voight is, like, is great yeah. in this movie. So it's a long-ass movie, so you kind of have to... I watched it in, like, chunks. I watched it in, like, two chunks. So you can't like really sit down and watch the whole thing, but there's just so many great uh, action sequences. Like the way they do action in this movie is just you don't see it anymore. Like to, nowadays with superhero movies, like the the it's all you know CGI and it, it it's usually pretty great in in the right hands. But this movie was like the biggest fucking movie of that year. It was like a Christmas movie. It was a it was a December release like the slot that Star Wars has now and all anyone knew was De Niro Pacino in a crime movie that's it and everyone was in and this was kind of like oh god Michael Mann just really fell off a cliff like after I guess he made The Insider in 1999 Great which movie. was a big movie but after that it's just like it kind of I mean I love like Collateral in 2004 I stand by that movie, that's a, great movie yeah. um, a lot of people it's kind of divisive at this point but Michael Mann at this time this was like peak Michael Mann yeah um, I watched I haven't seen this movie in number of years at this point but i just remember like loving this movie like this movie is so much fun like you said you don't feel the runtime when you're watching it because it's like it's so snappy with everything that they've done and that's kind of an element that's been lost in michael mann's in the last few movies that he's made but kind of he he had at the time it's like this affinity for action and for like finding like using the heist element to its maximum potential um like uh, watching heat it's just like you see every soderbergh movie and you're like oh okay you can tell he's like a big he's a big michael mann and it's like that's why oceans 11 exists because of a movie like heat well yeah but oceans 11 has like this breezy quality to it you know like there's it doesn't have the the darkness to it yeah because in heat like when they rob the armored car you feel the every every hit of that sequence when they rob the bank you feel every gunshot like it's loud and cacophonous there's just this absolute tangibility the weight to every single action sequence in heat it's pretty much a perfect movie i i i don't know i gave it a nine out of ten a letterbox but it could easily be a ten it could yeah. easily be a perfect film sweet all right we about wrapped up, boys. Yeah, and I I want to say something really quick. Uh, this is way out of place at this point, but relating back to Ben Stiller and then Billie Eilish, uh, <laughs> because I I think I do think it is a little annoying when the, this DIY thing is getting pushed for Billie, but there, now there's an, an amount of backlash against it where people are calling her a plant and everything. I think that it's misplaced because if you really want to go after industry plants, you can't watch any movie. You can't watch any TV show. You can't listen to any, hardly any music. Cause it's all plants. Yeah. Like Ben Stiller, you can call him an industry plant. That doesn't mean he hasn't made anything dad. good. Right, right. Because he, he's a Hollywood boy, but that's yeah. not a bad thing. Also, I think that with somebody like Ben Stiller or Billie Eilish, I didn't ever think that we'd be comparing these two people. They're basically um, the same, but, <laughs> <laughs> but like, 
making the most of your platform. Like Billie Eilish could just be no offense to her. I love her deeply in this. I'm sorry that I have to say this, but she could just be another Ariana Grande. She could just be making Whoa. very like, but no, you know what I mean? Well, like no, she could yeah. just be making straightforward pop music. Exactly. The fact that she's doing something that has like this darkness and kind of this like difference to it where it's almost like I put a song on at work the other day and uh, I was like, is this like too dark to play around kids? Like, yeah, it's, it has like it almost has like a Halloween waltz element yes. to it that you're like, I don't it's know. Spooky. I should have I should have said that whenever we were talking about Billie Eilish, but it is very spooky. Yeah. Um, Halloween waltz is the best way to describe her album. The monster. It's mash. very the monster. It's very mash. Burton-esque. Yeah. Um, Burton's gonna feature Billie Eilish our next soundtrack. Like, so yeah, while I do like, you don't have to like her music, and you don't, and it's okay to be a little annoyed by the DIY angle that they're pushing. However. It's it's a double standard because if you get on any actor's IMDb, about half of the time it's going to be like he was raised by Blank, who is a very famous actor, and a lot of time they change their last name so you don't know right. that they're. But like that's just how it works. We don't live in a meritocracy, and I, there's a lot of attacks uh, online that like are I think are very misplaced against her. When like it's fine if you just don't like her shit. Like you don't have to like go after her. Like don't be personal. Yeah. All right. Well. That's it for this week on the pod. Let us know what you thought of the broken up format. If you want more of that, at We Bought a Mike on Twitter, Instagram, We Bought a Mike at gmail.com. Uh, we got Shazam next week. Hey. And Pet Cemetery. And Pet Cemetery. So we'll probably do a double review. Hey. So yeah, stick around for that. We'll probably split that one up too. Yeah. So more coming at you. Good stuff. Um, take it easy. We love you. Also, next week, we have the return of Barry and start of twilight Zone. Oh, holy shit is next yeah. week a triple yeah and a then triple frontier three episodes it's a triple frontier <laughs> it's a triple frontier <laughs> oh quadruple boy. frontier yeah all right well take it easy stay with bammy bye bye